Hi, everybody, <laughs> and welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream for Wednesday, December 15th, 2021. I want to welcome all of you if you are listening on the Football Outsiders podcast network after the fact, or if you are watching us live, which is what you should be doing, especially on Wednesdays, because it's Ask Us Anything, and you can ask us questions live on Twitch and YouTube, not to mention Facebook and Twitter and the widget in the corner of the site and all of the other places where you get your Football Outsiders live stream, which is what we're doing now. Hi, I'm Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders. I'm joined today by Mike Tanier and by JP Acosta down there. Boop. And we are going to take some questions and talk about football. And actually, the thing that we were starting to talk about, but we were like, all right, hold that for the show mm -hmm. is this kid. Uh, the, the name escapes me, Officer Hunter. Hunter? Travis Hunter. Travis Hunter, the number one prospect in the country who is decommitting from Florida State and instead going to 1AA Jackson State, thanks to Coach Dion Sanders, bringing him to Jackson State. And I, you know, JP, you follow college football more than I do especially college football down that way. What do you think about this? So I think there are a couple of ways you can think about this. For one, one for me, I think this is a huge moment for HBCUs. This isn't only a Deion Sanders or only a Jackson State moment. That's one of the like, things I was going to ask about is, is, is if, if this is some random 1AA school, even if Deion Sanders is the head coach, does this happen? Or do you think part of the draw is that the, the, the historical value of going to an HBCU? One of the things that he said after he committed was he talked about all the great players who have gone to HBCUs and him wanting to be a part of that history. And what I was saying was, if it was just about the money, he could have gone to Alabama or Georgia. You can get money anywhere. <laughs> but this is more than just money. This is more than just like a player decommitting from Florida State. This is an important moment for HBCUs. They've been left out of for so long they've been left out of major college football recruitment yeah. because somehow we've minimalized their impact and what players can do after they go there and i think not only has Deion sanders done a great job at jackson state but he's done a great job for hbcus as a whole because he's garnered access jackson state versus florida a&m happened this year and it was on espn they broadcasted that game now florida a&m is getting more recognition willie simmons who's the head coach at Florida A&M, one of the best coaches in FCS right now. Now he's starting to get attention for Power 5 schools, and it's all because people are starting to invest more in HBCUs. You're starting to see more attention come in. And Travis Hunter, who's the number one recruit in the nation, this is the highest recruit, I think, ever to go to an HBCU. This is a huge moment, not only for Jackson State, not only for Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders can go anywhere and get anybody. He's Deion Sanders. That's just what he does. Especially any cornerback, because you're, you know, you're getting a chance now to be tutored by the best who's ever done it. Right. Exactly. That's, it's not just about Deion Sanders going and getting a recruit. That's his job. He's a coach. He's good at what he does. He's also Deion Sanders. But this is a huge pivotal moment that could end up being a huge turning point in how we perceive HBCUs, how high school recruits perceive HBCUs. And I'm really, I'm really hopeful for the future in terms of recruitment for uh, HBCUs in football and basketball. 
what's what's the building block do you i wonder like okay you've got this giant fish on the line is it other hbcus getting very big name coaches who are former players so they can use that as a recruiting tool is it just saying look if we got hunter why aren't you coming to this how do, how do we move forward from this I think moving forward, I think NIL is going to help a lot because yeah. now you can get money. And of course, Deion Sanders is going to help you get money because he's Deion Sanders. Yeah. But now alumni are going to start investing more in HBCUs. You're going to start seeing more huge NIL deals come from there. And now players will start to see the impact and how much money truly HBCUs have in alumni. Like yeah. Florida a and has so many huge alumni that have gone there. And getting them to invest in the program, getting them to invest in HBCUs is going to eventually be huge for all HBCUs because then players will start to realize the value. So it's not only just bringing in big name head coaches, it's bringing in access, you know, which also ties into it's a whole cycle of you bring in the big name coach, he'll bring in the access, you bring in the good games, you show good football, people will come. Right. And HBCUs have been playing really good football for a while now. Yeah. So I think this is a big step in the process, but it's going to it's going to take a little more time. Right. It would be interesting to see whether this helps them rise in the FCS, uh, you know, in the playoffs. You know, it'd be great to see HBCUs in the championship game, along with the right. North Dakotas and the South Dakotas and whatever, whoever else makes that. Um I, I, I'm I'm not a big follower of college recruiting, but this is just, I mean, the number one recruit going to the FCS level is just stunning. And if you think about it, like, it's not going to hurt his ability to be drafted by the NFL. As long no. as he plays well at that level, people will remember all the talent he had going into college. They're never going to throw at him ever for four years. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the only downside is that it's, it's going to be four years of no tape of this guy because he's just shut his guy down. But I'm sure – uh, Dion has a uh, coach. Uh, coach Sanders has a plan for that in terms of getting this guy not just on a corner somewhere. He's going to be, probably be playing some offense. He's probably going to be playing in like nickel situations. Yeah, he is field too. Blessing. He's an electrifying athlete. From having seen his film, the dude, the dude can ball. Like he's the number one recruit for a reason. He plays corner, which I mean, of course you're gonna you're gonna go with Coach Sanders if you want to play corner, but. Right. Uh, what Coach Sanders has done this year, he not only got the number one recruit in the country, he also has two four-star recruits and is possibly working on flipping more big-name recruits. So this is a huge, like, I can't I'm, I can't say enough how huge this is for HBCUs because mm -hmm. this is a potential turning point in the perception of how we see HBCU football and how we see recruits going to HBCU football. We've always seen it as – lesser than but now we're going we're starting to get to the point where no if you're if you can get recognized josh allen got recognized at wyoming and right. he was top 10 picking the draft you can go to jackson state trey lance trey, trey lance was at the fcs level i mean at least wyoming is fbs level trey right. lance was at fcs level it was the number three pick so and now florida and them is now in the fcs they actually just made the playoffs their first year they lost in the first round but they made the fcs playoffs this first year Jackson State is 11-1. They're going to be playing in Celebration Bowl this weekend on ESPN. So that's, again, getting more big names, getting more attention, which is really what it's really what we've been asking for. Show, show time. Show investment. Actually go and watch these games. Watch these players because you can find great players at HBCUs. Uh, let's take some questions here. We've got some questions already. 
Uh, I'll start with DJRM3, who says, this Jets fan thoroughly enjoyed Mr. Tanier's tank watch today. Instead of re-signing Jamison Crowder, would it be worth investing in the more versatile Braxton Berrios? I guess. I mean, Barrios, very good return, man. So much of what little they were able to do on offense uh, this week against the Saints was kind of like the the shovel pass and the end-around type game to Barrios. I'm not sure he is more versatile in that respect. And that Crowder, Crowder, while he's a slot receiver, can do sort of all of the slot receiver type of things. I think of Crowder as the better player, as the better safety valve, if you're trying to move forward and say, okay, we're the Jets, we, we put together a better – overall offense. We're trying to get Zach Wilson off the ground in year two. Let's have a veteran safety valve type guy to go with our new running back that you should get and everything else that's new you should get and get Becton back healthy, et cetera. I would say go with Crowder because he doesn't limit you to saying it's all Barrios. It's not quite, it's not all gadgetry, but it's almost gadget, all gadgetry. It's all end around type stuff. I guess no one yeah. else on the Jets off. <laughs> I was going to say, they have their running back. Michael Carter is fine as a starting running yes. back when he's healthy. Yeah, so I'm, exactly. that's not a worry. I think they, getting Zach Wilson more weapons should be priority number one because you can tell when Elijah Moore and Corey Davis are not playing and you have to rely on, and as much as I love him, you have to rely on Keelan Cole to be a number one receiver. Yeah. Then you probably need some more depth at that spot. They need secondary and back seven of their defense really badly too, and that's assuming they get the edge rusher back who's hurt, et cetera. But there's so little talent in so many places that's hard to pick a first priority for that team. But best I do want to player out, available, best player up, available, unless it's a quarterback or a running back, is basically their that's that's their a bad priority. End. Yeah, and behind Carter at running back, it is a mess. I mean, you don't say oh backup running back Carter might be the number two running back if they can get somebody who can take. So, uh, some absorb some carries tight end also they have almost nothing there they have almost nothing there lots of defense they need lots of defense yes. you know they're they're they've got defensive tackles you know but i mean even if carl lawson comes back they could use someone opposite him as a pass yes. rusher they definitely need cornerbacks i don't know what marcus may's contract situation is going to be they're going to need safeties uh, linebackers, the defense needs a lot of pieces. So really, I think the Jets go into the draft with the best player available th theory. And May is a free agent. The idea that you're going to let him go into free agency and then pay him rather than take all the opportunities you've had in the last year or so to extend him, that's Gase-level mismanagement. So I don't think that's the direction they're heading in. So I'm going to put the Zach Wilson conversation on hold for a second, and let's Perfect. go one pick up. And we got a question before the show and we have a question here from todd singer also asking jp what are your thoughts on trevor lawrence's future the question before the show from matt noscow was what are your thoughts on trevor lawrence and do you feel the urban meyer experience has overshadowed his struggles so then there's another question that kind of comes off this but let's start by talking about trevor lawrence because um trevor lawrence has not been good and the question is just how much to question Trevor Lawrence and just how much it's, I mean, not just Urban Meyer, but he's throwing to freaking Tavon Austin as if Tavon Austin was a real live starting NFL wide receiver in the year 2021. I mean, ugh. I, I want to let you guys know this. On one of the interceptions he threw against the Titans on Sunday, he was throwing to one Jadon Mickens. Who they just signed off the Buccaneers practice squad a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, he used to be the Buccaneers return man. Yes. Oh, okay. So I think Trevor Lawrence has honestly been one of the bright spots for me watching film of the Jaguars offense because 
of what they've thrown at him this entire season. He's been given the entire command of the offense. He's setting protections. He's changing. He has to do everything for that offense before the snap. And then when the ball is snapped, he has to work with a limited roster of receivers. Um, I do think some of the play designs are on and off. Like there was a all a empty all slants that looked like it came out of high school. <laughs> and he, he also isn't working with the best offensive line. So I think Trevor Lawrence has done about as much as he could behind for a team that really doesn't have a lot of talent. It's what we've seen. Like when you go to a bad team, you do a lot of bad stuff. My biggest issue is I don't know if he's like gotten a whole lot better than where he was at Clemson, but he, when he was at Clemson, he was like one of the most like unmess upable quarterbacks in the league. I guess my biggest issue is he does hero ball a lot, mm. which I mean, on, on a few of those interceptions uh, on Sunday against the Titans, he was hero balling it because we were down 17 at the time and yeah. you just need a big play. I think at some points in the game, Trevor Lawrence goes into, yeah, we need a big play. I got to try and go get something and ends up throwing an interception or making a mistake, which is something that all rookies do. So I I don't think – I'm actually more solidified on Trevor Lawrence than I was at the beginning of the season than I I thought I would be concerning the record and Mm -hmm. the stats. But with what he's been given – and what he has to do pre-snap and post-snap, I'm more solidified that this guy is going to be a good player as long as the Jaguars surround him with the proper talent. Yeah, I, I watched in the first couple series of that game, the pocket collapsed almost instantaneously on him. It's very obvious nobody was open. You can see just on the television film watching it, these guys were running these very vanilla, bland pass routes. And these guys, I mean, uh, Treadwell and Austin and O'Shaughnessy and all these other weirdos that they had. And I, was, I gave up. I was like, you can't, you cannot evaluate under these circumstances. You know, you cannot evaluate. Two receivers ran into each other on a yes. route. Again, yes, I saw that. Video in audibles, I think. Um, that's not the first time that it's happened this year. Right. I mean, I think one of the biggest things uh, Urban Meyer actually talked about in Week Twelve. Again, Week Twelve about the receivers not knowing the right depth to run their route set, what routes they're running. I think. The Jaguars are third in the league in drops right now. So I think the lack of positional development, you know, we kind of came into this season thinking, oh, well, the Jaguars have some really fun things at receiver, including Marvin Jones, but there hasn't been a position on this team that's gotten better, which is really alarming outside of Trevor Lawrence and James Robinson. You really don't know what you have because the development isn't there. That's my biggest issue with, well, one of my biggest issues with the Urban Meyer experience and the Urban Meyer staff is they brought in all these guys thinking, oh, yeah, we'll be able to coach them up. You, that's why you go get all the athletes. It's why you go and draft a Walker Little and then you don't play him at all. But you think you can fix him because you're putting so much influence on yourself. You're thinking that, oh, I can put this guy in the right spot. It's a very college way of thinking. Go get the best athlete and we'll develop, develop him in four years. Because he's 17. Get a great 17-year-old yeah. athlete and just keep him all spring and, you know, have him wake up at 5 in the morning and run laps and go to the weight room. Yeah, that is a very college way of thinking. It's a lot different when these guys are at their physical peaks. Like, 
Tom Brady notwithstanding, a lot of the athletes in the NFL right now that you see are at their physical peak. This is the best they will ever be. If you can't get something out of them right now, then it's either they're not good or you're not good as a head co- as a head coach or a position coach. I think the receivers coach has not been good at all. Hmm. Um, I think the lack of development from LaVisca Chenault has been alarming in terms of not developing as a true receiver, and the drops have been just killer. And the offensive line has been a problem as well. The development from the tackles you really haven't seen. Um, I think they're going to move on from uh, Cam Robinson at the end of the year. Uh, Jawan Taylor might be on the outs as well. He hasn't been good at all this year. He's actually fourth in the league right now in holding penalties um, against him. So there's not a lot to work with offensively. Here's my thing, though, before we end this. But to whom? Who are they handing off? The, oh, we're going to move on from Robinson. A couple other of the offensive linemen are free agents. And it's like, you're going to move on from everybody? How is that going to make things better? I can see, yeah, lose Robinson, draft a left tackle. There's a guard, one of the major guards. Both guards, I think, are free agents. I think Norwell's still playing well. Norwell, they have to hope Walker Little can play, right? I Walker mean, they drafted the dude near the top of the second yeah, round. Stanford kid, right? Possibly he yes. couldn't play his first year. They better hope he can play in his second year. Right, right. Walker Little is probably going to play. I hope he plays near the end of this season. He's probably the left tackle of the future. Um, I think they're going to probably they, – they might draft a right tackle if Jawan Taylor just just dives off the bottom of the uh, – off the deep end this year, which he probably has. Andrew Norwell has been relatively good. This, this has been his best year of his career in Jackson. You need somebody. You need somebody in there. I know that – yeah. yeah. So I think Norwell's I believe they can sign, they can re-sign the guys they want to re-sign. I believe they can bring in new guys if they want to. The problem is that that team needs new management and it needs new management badly. And this didn't work. And the sooner that they can get rid of Urban Meyer and flush out the coaching staff, the better it will be for Trevor Lawrence and everybody. That's the biggest issue. You have all this cap space. Again, you have the most cap space going into the offseason again, like you did last year. What makes you think people are going to want to sign with Jacksonville if Urban Meyer stays? What makes you think you're going to be able to get coaches to come coach if you get rid of the offensive staff? If he's going around calling everybody losers and that he's better than them, despite having only won two games in his NFL career, what makes you think people want to work in that environment? So I think it's very clear that this experience, this experiment with Urban Meyer is not working. And they have to cut bait before they end up running this franchise into the ground deeper than they already are. I I do think we learned something from Trevor Lawrence's struggles this year. I think if you go back and think of how good a prospect you think he is, I think we, we now have more information that he can't transcend terrible situations. (laughs) So I think, I think you have to lower sort of your accounting for him as a prospect, but considering how high he started, you're basically lowering him from generational every once a decade prospect to typical best quarterback of the year prospect, which is still the guy you want to take number one. Like you still, I, you would have to be kind of insane to feel like they made a mistake with the number one pick. Yeah. Jordan Reed uh, at ESPN, he uh, used to work at the draft network. I did a story with him about uh, how to prepare a quarterback for uh, stepping into a franchise. And one of the things he said is a franchise has to have protection, play callers and playmaking in order for a young quarterback to develop and succeed. If you don't have those three things, then you're putting your quarterback in a really tough spot. Like if you want to compare it to all the other quarterbacks in this draft class, Matt Jones has protection, 
play calling and playmakers and look at where they are now. I mean, Zach Wilson doesn't really have protection or play playmakers or play calling. Justin Fields doesn't have that either. We're starting to see that as good as these guys are, football is a team sport. It, they can't, they cannot carry a whole offense like you can in basketball. It's, it's the paradox of the NFL. The best quarterbacks wind up on the worst teams, creating a situation where they have to, either the team grows around them or they have to transcend these situations, creating this constant churn and need for quarterbacks. It's an interesting question because it gets to one of the questions we had before the show that we wanted to talk about, which was from a guy named Hobo Power on the Twitter. If you could redo the 2021 draft, who would be your one through five? And I went and looked at it, and I don't think I would change very much. You wouldn't change a thing. I don't know. No, I, I would make. I would make. I actually looked at it, and I thought there's one change I probably would make. Number one pick, Trevor Lawrence. I think no change. Right. Right now, yeah, yeah, if you yeah. could go back and do it, you would take Trevor Lawrence number one. hundred percent. Right. Yes. Okay. Number two, Zach Wilson. I think there were a lot of us who had some questions about Zach Wilson coming into the draft. Like how much of his performance was based on BYU just having an ass schedule because of COVID. <laughs> and a lot of his production came out of structure, kind of weird, like, hey, go do something cool. And now you're kind of seeing like within structure, his processing isn't up to NFL standard. Yet. Doesn't it feel like by the eye test, at least, Lawrence and Justin Fields, and even Mac Jones are much more likely to make a couple plays in the game that make you go, that's an NFL starting quarterback Yes. than Wilson is. Yes. Yes. So if I was redrafting, I would put Mac Jones number two. Okay. Because, yes, he's had a better offensive line and better play calling than these other guys. I don't know if his playmakers are really better. He doesn't have anyone as good as Corey Davis. He doesn't have anyone as good as DJ Chark should have been if he had been healthy. Right. Um, I don't know what to believe about Allen Robinson at this point because he's just fallen <laughs> off a cliff this year. I feel so bad. But I, it, I think if I, if I went back and redrafted it, I would put Mac Jones second. Then third, I think the 49ers – they don't, we haven't seen Trey Lance. Right. So only they know what they have in Trey Lance. Mm-hmm. So my guess is they still take Trey Lance. And this is where I kind of got a little uh, stuck because I'm just thinking, what are the biggest issues with the 49ers right now? And I'm thinking that right side of the offensive line has been a bit of a problem for them. You got Rashawn Slater and Penae Sewell, who both played really well. Yeah. If I think. If I'm redrafting, I might go Rashawn Slater. Ooh, okay. He is like him to the right side. He's played fantastic this season for the Chargers. Yeah. And giving Jimmy G a book in tackles between Rashawn Slater and Trent Williams, that'll help out the passing game. It'll help out the run game. And just the fact that we haven't seen Trey Lance, I don't know if it's necessarily a problem or if it's maybe okay. – I don't know. I, I think what we're seeing out of San Francisco is they could have gotten the one piece for this year as opposed yeah, to three. Right. 
And what they wanted was the piece for the future. That's why they jumped up to number three. Brian Knowles points out the 49ers would not have jumped up to number three if they wanted a right tackle for this, you know, for this year rather than the quarterback of the future. They were thinking quarterback of the future. Right. And at this point, since we don't know what Trey Lance is, I don't see any reason to believe you would take Justin Fields or for that matter, based on what we have seen, you wouldn't take Zach Wilson ahead of him. So that's why I would think they would still draft Trey Lance third, but a right tackle would be very nice for them right now. That's more of the, we're winning right now. That's looking at the Niners right now. They could use a right tackle. Um, The numbers. What were you going to say? I was also, I I was starting to think a little bit about a corner here, but I think corner's too high at three. So it'd either be right tackle or stick with uh, uh, Trey Lance. Or Chase. Give him Chase. I know Garoppolo won't be able to reach Chase deep, but Garoppolo could kind of reach Chase deep. And Chase was also a good screen and go yak guy. You could put him there. I would say Debo Samuel, Chase Ayuk, and uh, George Kittle would be a dynamic receiving group. That would be pretty remarkable. I agree. Um, uh, can I do mine? No. Okay, you got Sorry, Yeah, yeah, hit me. Okay. Well, I I did like this combination of whip, wish which uh, wish casting and dream logic. I gave the Jaguars Trey Lance number one overall because I'm giving Urban Meyer the thing he really wanted but didn't know he wanted an excuse to stink this year. Yeah. <laughs> it gave him the benefit of the doubt. The Jaguars would have taken Lance and stuck him on the bench or in a wild card package and kept Minshew and gone out there, and they could have changed the entire uh, uh, conversation about this year. Then I give the Jets Trevor Lawrence. I'm going to steal JP's idea with the 49ers and give him give him give him a tackle here. Um, I had Micah there for the 49ers. Mm-hmm. Oh, supercharge supercharge your defense this year. Um, but I like the idea of giving them one of the two tackles. Falcons, I'm giving Mac Jones because I can picture Mac Jones on the Falcons. They need a quarterback of the future. He'd probably be sitting behind Matt Ryan this year. They need it. They really need it. I'm not going to take seriously this six and seven Falcons team. I could see him working within structure there that they're building, working with Arthur Smith and having the kind of season in 2022 that he's having this year. I kept Chase with the Bengals because I can't picture Chase outside the Bengals right now. And I did two more. I gave the Dolphins uh, Panay Sewell to yeah. help fix their offensive line and to give Tua a break. And I gave the Panthers Justin Fields at quarterback so we could stop this chaos <laughs> at the quarterback situation and say, get on with it, uh, Matt Rule, and maybe keep Joe Brady, and here's a quarterback. See, see, this is where I was talking about how my list is sort of like not a lot of changes, right? I would have to have Trevor Lawrence one, mm-hmm. Mac Jones two. That's my change. Okay. Trey Lance three. If you're Atlanta, you still take Kyle Pitts. No. Has, has Chase been a little bit better this year? Yeah. Has Parsons been better this year? Yeah. When it comes to like what we all knew, which was that Pitts had this ridiculous potential and that tight ends take a while to get used to the NFL, does that change? Has he done enough this year to justify being taken fourth, given that he's a tight end? I think you know, so. You know there's a quarterback of the future, Mac Jones, sitting on that board now. We know no, that. on my board, Mac Jones went two. But yeah, uh, no, you okay. take Justin Fields. If you want the quarterback of the future, you take yeah. Justin Fields. Okay. I think the Bengals still take Chase. Yes. And I'm trying to think of what's the first team that takes Parsons. Because Atlanta is they're pretty good at that position at the the linebacker position, although not at the pass rusher position. But we all thought Parsons was a linebacker, but now we know he's more of an edge rusher. I ended up with him going to Miami. Six. Yeah. 
I think that'd be a that's a very Brian Flores type of player. He would he would like kill with uh with Michael Parsons. Um, yeah, I mean, look at what they do with guys like Kyle Van Noy. Micah Parsons is only like that plus 20 times better. So. Happy exactly. Yeah. Um, I think my number one was still Trevor Lawrence. Um, number two, I went Matt Jones. Uh, three, I'm still sticking with Sean Slater. Yeah, I, think I, like I really like that fit in uh, San Francisco with that running game, with that offense. Atlanta is really weird to me because as much as I love Kyle Pitts, Justin Fields just seems like a great fit there, especially for the kind of play action, get the quarterback on the move, and Justin Fields can extend what the Falcons can do offensively. And I kind of got stuck where you guys are where, with, like, where does how far does Micah Parsons still fall? I mean, he went 11th. Yeah, it's not that far. He went 12th. Yeah, 12th. How much higher does he go? You know, I think 5th. You still go Jamar Chase with the Bengals. He's had a phenomenal rookie year. And then you get to Miami, and you still got Panay Sewell on the board. You mm. still got quarterbacks. You still got um, Michael Parsons on the board. I think you got you got to go Sewell. Knowing what you know about your offensive line, you have to go Panay Sewell. Um, then Detroit, I can see Parsons going there. Oh, I, I would want to get – I'd get them Smitty or I'd get them Waddle. Or I, I mean, so, so, oh, Pitts is Pitts still on the board? Did you? Did you? Pitts is Pitts is still on the board. Yep. Zach Wilson still on Pitts. the board. Talking to boy, that's the two tight end offense that Bill Belichick wants to run, right? You want to yes. challenge the Gronkowski Hernandez offense? Yes. Hawkinson in the Gronkowski role and Pitts in the Hernandez role. Holy mm-hmm. mackerel! So yep. we'll go Pitts there, and then eighth, I give the Panthers Trey Lance because yes. get please. In retrospect, the Panthers should have taken a quarterback. Yes. yes. They should have either taken a quarterback or the tackle that was available. Rashawn Slater was there. He he should have been a pick there. Scott Heron says Sewell to the Dolphins, he would be better than Liam Eikenberg's been, but Sewell hasn't been all that good, has he? He struggled early in the season. Then they moved him to left tackle, and he was very good when their left tackle was out. And then he went back to right tackle when the left tackle came back. And he's been very good since then. I believe PFF had him as their rookie of the week this week. So he's Mm -hmm. Sewell is playing much better now than he was. Unlike Rashawn Slater, he hasn't been dynamo since the start of the season, but he's playing very well now. If you look at the draft, actually, other than the quarterbacks, this this could go down as a really good draft. Like everybody's like you don't know yet what you're gonna get out of Zach Wilson. We don't know anything about Trey Lance. Fields has sucked. If you look, if you look at this year's top fifteen, right, you've got a lot of guys who nobody's like. Oh, wait, why did why did we take that guy? Right, like even going past seven, J.C. Horn's been injured, so Look all the guys are there. When Patrick Horn Sertain, was good. Patrick Sertain, good rookie season. Devontae mm-hmm. Smith, yeah, good rookie yeah. season. Yeah, Micah Parsons, awesome. Rashawn Slater, awesome. Elijah Vera Tucker, you yeah. can argue about he taking did. a guard that high. Right. But he's good. Is he a good player? Has he been whatever the Jets wanted from him? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mac Jones, yeah. I think the first guy, other than like Zach Wilson, the first guy you get to where you're like, uh, is Zaven Collins at 16. Right. I see, got go, I'd go Alex Leatherwood at 17 is my first. Well, yeah, also, that's yeah. the second guy you get to where you're like, yeah, everybody yeah. thought that was an overdraft, and that was an overdraft. Yeah. My thing uh, about a little, cheeky, a little cheeky says, 
I jumped in partway through. Could you recap the top 10? It's hard to do because we each had a different top 10 in our redraft. And we changed the while we were talking. So I don't even know what I said anymore. I'm sorry. What I will say about the whole Panay Sewell thing is he struggled at the beginning of the season because moving from left tackle to right tackle is hard. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think people really understand, like, the difference in movement style between the left tackle and the right tackle. Everything is flipped. It's like when you're like, it's like driving a car here versus driving a car in England because the steering wheel's on the different side. The whole thing flips. In in a race, in a race or something. Like not like around the block, in a race, yes. It's like you're changing where the steering wheel is during the Grand Prix. Yes. As far as recapping the top 10, I think – what we can say is that we all basically agreed on three things. One, Trevor Lawrence would still go number one. Mm-hmm. Two, we would take Mac Jones ahead of Zach Wilson at this point. Yes. Yeah. And three, as great as Micah Parsons has been, it's hard to move him up the board that much from 12, given all the other talented players in this draft. Right. Yeah. Right. This has been a really good year, especially early in the draft. I mean, you can even look at a guy like Jalen Waddle, who – I know Miami's offense is very built out of RPOs and a terrible uh, offensive really line. He's good. He's, he's got no complaints. no complaints. He's yeah. made so many big plays for them, especially with the kind of like lack of offensive line talent that they have. He's been playing phenomenal for them. <laughs> um, Patrick Sertan has been everything that the Broncos yeah. thought he would be. Yeah. And then J.C. Horn, while he's been injured, when he played, he was really good. So you can kind of see – what the Panthers were thinking with, okay, we're going to go get J.C. Horn and we're going to go get Stephon Gilmore too. And now you have your two guys. But I guess if you're if you're really considering, I mean, the Panthers, you either got to take a quarterback. You got to take a quarterback. Knowing what you know now, yes. I think that's the big kind of redraft. Right. Well, I would think Detroit needs a quarterback knowing what they know now. True. Yeah, Carolina needs one. Detroit, yeah. Detroit needs a lot. <laughs> like, I mean, Atlanta, at least you have the argument of, okay, a couple yeah. more years with Matt Ryan, or do we take right. the quarterback of the future? But if we, you know, knew in April what we know now, we would know Goff sucked and Darnold sucked. <laughs> so, like, with Matt, Matt Ryan doesn't suck. But right. at least with Detroit and Carolina, you know they should have drafted quarterback. Right, right. Um, even if you go later in the draft, by the way, I'll just say, cause I have it up on my screen right now. It's amazing. This draft, this first round came out really well as far as how players have played as rookies. Um, if you look further down, uh, Kadarius Tony's done some stuff. Quiddy yeah. pay has done some stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think Minnesota has to feel good about Christian Derrissaw. Yes. We can argue about the value of running backs going in the first round, but has Najee Harris been the best rookie running back? Yeah, he's hasn't been the problem. He has not been the problem there by any means. He's been yeah. Um, Rashad Bateman for Baltimore, good. Derek Stokes for Green Bay, very good. Gregory Rousseau from Buffalo, useful. Yes. Odafe Owa, really good. Joe Tyron Shoyinka, very yes. good. I mean, not very good, but useful. Yeah, this has been a this was a really good draft. Outside of the struggles of the quarterbacks, this has been a really, really good draft class. I mean, even going to Greg Newsom has played phenomenal for mm-hmm. Cleveland when he's healthy. Um, Jalen Phillips has started to come on. Yes. Um, 
I mean, this is a it's been a really good skill position player class. Yeah, second second round, you get all kinds of useful players too, whether it's Elijah Moore or Rondale Moore, Asante Samuel Jr. Mm. Javon um, Holland. Yeah. yeah. This, One this thing was, I uh, really good. This was a really good draft class. Yeah, and I think there was a question earlier about the Dolphins. I just finished filing something about the Dolphins. And yeah, Holland and Jalen Phillips and Waddle, and you see. That is an unbelievably strong. That's a strong pick. first three picks. Yeah. Yeah. And I know afterwards it gets a little weaker, but you don't know what you have later on. And it's also later on. And that's like the reason, one of the reasons we're seeing this Dolphins winning streak is two is back. He's better than Brissett. One is they're playing the New York teams and that's going to happen. But these rookies are rising up and that's very encouraging for the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. So really good rookie class. So the um, the questions about Zach Wilson actually get to one of the other interesting questions we got before the show <laughs> from Chris Gifford. Where would Tom Brady be today if he had been drafted by the Jets? Would he be selling insurance? Now, Mike, I will let you go first. Now, we're going to be talking about stuff that happened in 2001, uh, JP. Do you have memories of 2001? First of all, this counterfactual has to run one of two ways. Either do you assume that the Jets took Brady instead of Pennington, or what I think is more likely is do you assume that the Jets took Brady and Pennington? Right, because that's the first thing that happened in that draft is the Jets took Pennington. So we're going to assume they, they skipped on Pennington and they took Tom Brady later in the draft. At this point, I'm going to suggest that Tom Brady in New York playing for Herm Edwards would do things that would impress Herm Edwards and his staff in the same way he impressed Bill Belichick and their staff, that he's going to come in, be a high-effort, high-energy, know-the-playbook type of guy, and he's going to impress them into working his way past Testaverde on the on the um, depth chart, getting an opportunity when Testaverde gets hurt, et cetera, et cetera, and getting into the lineup. So I'm going to suggest that Tom Brady has Chad Pennington's career, but with fewer injuries, which means it's not on again, on again, on again, 17-time comeback player of the year, Chad Pennington. It's a guy who's kind of around the Pro Bowl. He obviously does not get the brilliance of Belichick and the support and things like that, but he goes on to have a solid career where he makes the Pro Bowl a few times, et cetera, gets the team in the playoffs a few times, and that Tom Brady retires as a Jets ring of honor level quarterback who winds up being a beloved broadcaster, not necessarily an insurance salesman. I forgive me. I had to look up the Testaverde you were talking about. Cause I'm like, I know it's not Vinny Testaverde. It's and I look up this at, it is. See, I'm, I'm sorry. Cause I did the, I did the young guy joke there, but you, you backed up on me. So that's perfect. I, <laughs> I, had, I had to back it up. So like, that's Vinny Testaverde. I didn't think he was still playing back then. Vinny but- Testaverde lasted until like 2006 or something. He played for like the Panthers. Like See, I just he I lasted after football movie. outsiders started. I remember watching the old film of him like with the hurricanes for Miami. Yes. And like he's he played in 07. Like, okay. He had a long career. He had it a long shocking. career. Yes. Still sticking around. Um, I don't know. I, I think Tom Brady wouldn't obviously he wouldn't have the same success as he does now. Because I think a lot of where rookie quarterbacks go, a lot of where young quarterbacks go has to do with Again, play make, playmaking, play calling, and protection. Would he have that with the Jets? I really don't know. Right. So he, I think having a Chad Pennington-like career would probably be the most realistic outcome. He would. He obviously wouldn't be the Tom Brady we know now. Right. 
No, I, I feel like I, maybe I'm the most optimistic, I guess, of the three of us. I feel like the Jets were a well-run team around the turn of the century. They were yes. not the Jets of today where you feel like it's a mess, right? Like yep. they had uh, Herm Edwards as the head coach starting in 2001, and they were coming off of Parcells running the show. And like they were a fairly they had reasonably Kevin, well-run organization. I Kevin feel Wall like was center. So Brady... Okay. is great enough and his work ethic is strong enough. It is really hard for me to imagine that unless he went to a total pit of despair, <laughs> like the current Jaguars, um, as long as he went to a team with a reasonable, uh, with a reasonable roster, and this is a team that made the playoffs, right? They were 10 and six in 2001. They were nine and seven in 2002. They made the playoffs both years. So he's on a roster where he can develop. I feel like Brady becomes Brady, oh. but he wins maybe one. Okay. Without Belichick, fanfic. You don't win six. <laughs> it's fanfic. Fanfic. Both of them win three each. And every... <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I definitely believe one, each one of them is good enough to win it without the other, just not much, right? Like the reason they won six is because it was the two of them together. But you know, Parcells won two with Phil Sims and Jeff Hostetler as his quarterbacks. And, you know, there are, uh, you know, Peyton Manning won with what John Fox is his head coach, right? When he sucked and their defense was awesome. Hitchhiker's uh, pie has a, an interesting point, which is Brady gets his shot under Rex Ryan for the 2009 Jets. Uh, if he yeah, had with played Brady, with Darrell Revis defense. Right. And with the, he wouldn't have uh, had to have been the Brady of what Brady became to win a Super Bowl. And they would have at that point Brickishaw on the line and Mangold. Just have to be better than Mark Sanchez. Right. Well, one thing we're again, but we have to start with that assumption that he works his way up through. He's not a first round pick. Where he's no, guaranteed. I think with Testaverde's age, mm -hmm. with Testaverde's age, his work ethic would be such that at some point with Testaverde's age, he would get a shot. But right. it might not be till like 2002. Right, right. And then the things have to break right early on so there is some success there that he can build off of. So you go back and look at, yeah, Santana Moss was on that team. Uh, Kevin Mawai, like I said, was at center. There there was talent there. So I just don't I, – I don't know. The Brady that we see was so incredibly nurtured in a unique environment that I can't project him all the way up to being, oh, he wins a Super Bowl and plays for 18 do – do, Aaron, do you think he's still playing at 44 if he's if, – if he's No. Jets? Okay, right. No, if he is still playing, he's Vinny Testaverde. <laughs> Vinny Testaverde playing in 2001. Vinny Testaverde played till he was like 44, right? Like he did not as well, but he played that long. Like Vinny Testaverde, Vinny, Vinny Testaverde after he left the Jets still had the starts for Dallas for a couple of years and then yes. Carolina. So God. Testaverde right. had a long career. Testaverde was the first quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> great not this not only great. that but here's some mind-blowing the baltimore ravens in 1996 led the league in offensive dvoa with yep. Vinny testaverde at quarterback in their I first think, year in baltimore i think like Ted everything flipped for them the following year it was the following year where their offense started to suck and their defense started to be awesome right so yeah so hitchhiker's pie points out Vinny was still in the league 2007 so at the same time that Brady is going undefeated in the regular season, Vinny Testaverde, who started career started in 86, 
86 in the NFL? 86, I believe, yep. Right, first overall pick was still out there stumbling around with the Panthers. I think the Panthers were in pretty decent shape for most of that. Part. That was like the late Jake Delhomme era. So, yeah. Yes. It's, yeah. He's one of those guys where, like, he was on the same field with, and you name some dude who was, like, 40, like, and then you can go, like, three players back, and somebody was on the field with, like, Newt Rockney. Like, you can go Testaverde, and before that, it was, like, Eddie Murray, the kicker, and then you go before that, it was, like, George Blanda, and they all played against each other. Yeah, whoever was the oldest guy on those Tampa Bay teams when he was like in '86 and '87, yes, goes back farther. So is um, so is Drew Bledsoe a, a Hall of Famer? If the uh... no, no, yeah. Drew 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 Bledsoe is Matt Ryan. I don't think I don't think Belichick wins as many games with Drew Bledsoe as his quarterback. You know, even though what Drew Bledsoe could do. What Brady did in 2001, 2002, 2003, Bledsoe could do. But then by the time you get to like 2004, Bledsoe is falling off from age when Brady took the leap. Yes. You know? So I I feel like Bledsoe would not have been a he, – he would have stayed for a couple of years. That team would have needed another quarterback in a couple of years. Belichick got frustrated with Bledsoe's limitations as he got older. And That's the interesting part. What quarterback would have been, would have been on the Patriots if Brady did not play for New England and the Bledsoe experience just didn't pan out? Like They would have been in the market. Ben Roethlisberger. Oh, wow. Fan oh, we would have gotten the other Hall of Famer. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about 2004, not a top pick, but like a yeah. 10th or 11th pick, right? So right. not Manning and not Rivers, but oh, like I was, I was imagining in my head Bill Belichick and Philip Rivers on the same sideline. Get that would just be that'd be hilarious content. To him me. and young him and young Roethlisberger, that would have been a poop show. <laughs> young, you know, talk about that. <laughs> Rivers has, has his Rivers his drive to succeed has the same. He has the same real drive that, that Brady has. Honestly, yeah. he he yeah. is like emotional. Yes. So I think he would have jived with Belichick. Great. Right. <laughs> right. Big Ben just casually throwing an interception down the field and Bill Belichick just wanted to rip his hair out. Showing up, and not, I'm not even going to talk about the really bad early Ben stuff. We let that aside. Showing up with like a bucket of wings on his belly, which is you know Roethlisberger's <laughs> famous uh, health uh, nut thing. And like, what what the heck shape are you in, uh, young man? That would have been a, a, a chaotic, chaotic evil. I oh, mean, man. you know, I happen to. I feel like Belichick wouldn't have drafted J.P. Losman if he needed a quarterback in 2004. I would hope he's smarter than that. <laughs> I was talking about Trent Edwards on Buffalo radio the other day. So that JP Losman warms the, the cuckles of my heart. There. When people talk about the class of 2004 and they're always like Manning and Rivers and Roethlisberger. And it's like, whoa, there was another one. Don't forget yes. JP Losman. He was a first round pick that year. Unbelievable. I'm trying to imagine the funniest quarterback uh, pairing to pair with Bill Belichick. And like, I've come down to two names. Okay. And they're kind of both recent. One of them is Jameis Winston. I think Jameis and Bill Belichick would be arbitrary, like hilarious. I think Jameson would go get along okay, but because Jameis in the building chance, is too like, much chance taking and not good enough at the short game. Okay, okay. See, and the other one is like early Josh Allen, the real okay. dumb mistake, Josh Allen, because Bill Belichick is going to be stewing 
on the sideline while Josh Allen throws the ball 40 yards downfield to a fullback. <laughs> They'll create tremendous content. He would have broken Carson Wentz's poor little brain. Carson Wentz in half. He'd have crumbled into dust. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, I wonder what it would be like to put it with Aaron Rodgers. Oh my god! <laughs> because Aaron Rodgers feels like he's a little—he's got a little bit more of an ego than Brady does. Not, not that Brady doesn't have an ego, because you star quarterbacks have egos. Yes. But yeah, the verbal but Rodgers smart. is a little bit more of a me, me, me. I think the verbal right. smart between Belichick and Aaron Rodgers. I would need—I would need video of that. I would—I would need a man in the arena for Aaron Rodgers and Bill Belichick instead of Tom Brady. That building would catch fire. That building. Would I haven't. I haven't fire. watched Man in the Arena yet. Is it any good? I've not watched it. I've seen clips, and it's kind of. It's very Last Dance, but Brady. Mm. So okay, it, and it's also the first dance. Yeah, first like dance. It's not just the last dance; it's the first dance and all the middle dances. Yeah, it's the entire event, not just the first and last dance. It's all all the dances. It's, it's pretty cool. All the dances. Uh, Here's a question we got earlier in the show that we didn't get to. Scott here and said, what do you all think the Dolphins need to do in their final four games to ensure that Brian Flores returns as head coach? He's back. Haven't they kind of already done it? He's back. Yeah, they've done it. They, I mean, they've won five straight. Uh, I'm looking down the schedule. That what, They got the Jets this week. Uh, he Flores, I feel, is pretty safe right now. And so, yeah, I, I don't think it's so much that it's it's – putting the bad part of the season behind them, which is what they need to do. And of course that starts with getting further development out of Tua, especially since they've also got a very beatable Saints team on the road here. They've got, or, or down the road here, they got a very beatable Titans team, or at least they should split day with the Titans. Patriots might have nothing to play for at the end. They could go four. zero. I think it's very conceivable. They win three games down the stretch, stay in the wild card. I don't think that's relevant. It's about the development of Tua. It's about the development of all the rookies we've talked about so far. And it's about sort of building out that the only problem left in the offseason is the offensive line. I know they've got a lot of cap space. I think they have 70 million plus in cap space without a lot of in-house guys to pay it on. They can create a situation where they can fix the offensive line and definitely show momentum for 2022. I, I still feel like they need an offensive court. They need to decide who the offensive coordinator is. Yeah, pick one. And 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 work on things for Tua. Like Tua is, there's no question better than Brissett. Like the numbers, I don't have them to quote here, but like the DVOA numbers are just hugely different right. between Tua. And we can talk about how Tua is limited and we can have Derek Klassen on the show and have Derek flip out about how much he hates Miami's RPO. Let's do it. I, I agree. Work, I agree with Derek. Working. I, I agree with Derek. It, the Miami offense is an abomination to God. It is. It is not good. It's not fun. I don't like it. But it works. It's been average or better. Okay, it. it is not. It's, <laughs> it is very limited in what in what you can. The problem, do. Right, that's the problem. The problem is, could it be better than this? And you're like, or is this like this is all it can be? I don't think it's very sustainable, especially with the offensive line the way it's built. And I think that's the big thing. I think Brian Flores is going to be around. I think this offseason is going to be critical, especially because that offensive line is so bad. And it's not just bad. They're young and bad, which mm -hmm. means the offensive line coach isn't developing these guys. Right. So 
if they don't go and spend money on the offensive lineman or go and like draft a blue chip lineman with whatever spot they get in the draft, right. then you have to start asking questions about Flores because that offense isn't going to get better than what it is without having a serviceable offensive line. Right now, I mean, it's either them or the Panthers with the off- worst offensive line in the league. Right. And I tend to think Miami's is worse, <laughs> which I is really bad considering yeah. Carolina's. I just wrote about Carolina's. I get they're they're bad too. But I think for Flores, you got to fix the offensive line. I think he's yeah, safe. And it's generally week. young guys because it's the rookie Eichenberg at left tackle. Yeah. And it's two second year players at guard and a third year player at center. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the offense, I will say, like I said, it's very sim- simplistic. You run a lot of RPOs. And my biggest thing is I don't think that's sustainable. You can't build an NFL offense out of RPOs only. You have to have some straight drop back or play action or something. And I think that goes into kind of the limits of what Tua is. I'm not saying that he's a bad player. I'm just saying he is limited in what he can do. What he can do is he's very good at throwing RPOs. So they spam it a lot. I just don't know how sustainable that is going forward. And I don't know where that's his limit, where that's his inexperience limit, that's the offensive line's limit, or the limit of the creativity of the coaches. But they've got to expand from that. So I go back and forth on because, like, yeah, he's limited. Yeah, Mac Jones is limited too. You know, it's like yeah. it, it, you know, there's not exactly a full robust playbook for him. Jalen Hurts is still limited, etc. You have to expand from something that that you succeed at. So, and, that, and that's why I keep going back to with Tua. It's like, show me more than that, please, over the last four weeks. It would have been interesting if Will Fuller had just stayed healthy this year, because then we could have mm-hmm. seen what Tua would do with a downfield receiver. Yeah, they, I mean, but they well, had Jalen Waddle. And they had Parker for a big chunk of the year. And what's his name? Williams has been healthy for part of the year. And they've got a good tight end. they got two good tight ends. They've got enough guys. They don't have enough guys in the offensive line. Um, but it's just repetition, repetition, repetition. It's hard. It, it is hard to watch. They have to use the RPO not only to max mask their inefficiencies in the run game, which mm-hmm. the RPO is an extension of your run game, depending right. on how you use it. The Packers use it as an extension of their run game and to get numbers. The Dolphins use it for that and to get plays. They use RPOs on downfield slants and goes. Like that's all. That's what they have to do because their offensive line can't block necessarily right so you either have to improve the offensive line which they obviously should or those two offensive coordinators are gonna have to maybe like fuse together into one person and try and come up with something more creative or one of them's got to go or both of them's got to go the, the, the tough part about improving the offensive line is when you use high picks on the offensive line you want to have the patience to let them develop and the fact is they don't want to replace Eichenberg. They just used a second round pick on him. And I don't know if you want to replace the left guard or the right guard because they used a first and a second round pick on them just two years ago. Right. Like, One so of the guards, you want to improve center, center and right tackle for now. But otherwise, you may be stuck waiting to see if these guys develop because you used high picks on them and they're still young. You don't want to shut the door on them after one or two years. Well, see, the thing about Jackson, one of the guards, is he was a tackle. This year, he yeah. started at tackle. And he was like, yeah. Hard. So I think addressing right tackle will be important because two was left-handed. That's his blind mm-hmm. side. But I think everybody along the offensive line, they have to show improvement. And whether that comes from the offensive line coach who hasn't necessarily done well, because if they haven't, if those guys haven't improved throughout the season, they haven't shown improvement. 
then that's something on either the coaches or those guys just aren't good. And I tend to lean more coaches because, again, these are really young guys. But they have to show them something because they could potentially waste the primes of Byron Jones and Xavier Howard and a defense that was good last year. But this year they had to be on the field for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're um, they're up to eleventh in DVOA defense. defense. That defense has been better in recent weeks. Yeah, uh, I, think, I don't think they're on the field as much. I don't think they're on the field as much. I think that's a big part of it along the way. And when you talked about those offensive linemen, it's not like the, the kid Jacksonville drafted out of Stanford that we were talking about earlier, where it's like, what what, what were you guys doing? These guys came out, looked like, a lot of them looked like they were ready to play prospects. So the idea that they're backsliding speaks to right. the coaching. Scott Heron says Jackson has weirdly become a better guard than he was a left tackle where he struggled mightily. That's I don't think it. that's weird at all. That happens all the time in the NFL I was gonna say, who struggled Eric to tackle. Flowers. Who'd you say? I was going to say Eric Flowers was yeah. like that too. He was, yep. he was really bad at tackle, then moved the guard and wasn't bad. Robert Gallery? Yes, years ago. And um, in- oh, what's his name? Uh, why am I blanking on the Packers? The Incredible Bulk from the Packers. Oh, God. No. The guy was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Oh, uh, Mandarich. He was an Tony okay Andrich had a good second career as a guard for Indianapolis after he was one of the biggest busts in history as a tackle for the Packers. Yeah, they had to get some stuff out of his system there. Uh, Eagles had a guy, Jermaine Mayberry, who turned into a really good guard as a big load after getting drafted, overdrafted as a small school tackle. So, Hitchhiker's Pie, let's ask the last last question. Is Tom Brady already the best quarterback in Bucks history? He's their best wide by DYAR, which misses Doug Williams. Yeah, I think so. I think he is. Because career-wise, Williams just didn't have a very long – I mean, like peak-wise, no question. Career-wise, like only – Williams only had like four or five years there, right, before he went he to USFL? A couple of, yeah, he Williams from about 78 or 79, I don't have it in front of me, to about 83 was a very good quarterback, although he was sort of like the uh, the game managing on his side, and the defense was the key there for Williams. Um yeah, I was. A, I mean, Brad Johnson had a couple of very good, successful years uh, with, with the with the Buccaneers. It sounds silly to say Brad Johnson versus Tom Brady. Come on, but we're talking about one year and a Super Bowl, and one year and a Super Bowl with a couple of things around it. So, I guess Brady, yeah, but you know, yeah, I think if you did those top fives now, Brady would be number one. He's the number one quarterback in Tampa Bay history. Oh wow! Well, that's the reason not to do the top fives again. <laughs> Just kidding! I love Tom Brady. I love him. All right. That does it for today's show. Thank you all for tuning in to the Ask Us Anything show for week 15. Uh, Thanks to everybody who asked questions and commented live. Uh, Please don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite app, whether you're watching us on YouTube or um, you're watching us on YouTube or Twitch or Facebook or wherever, or you're listening to us afterwards on podcast. Please subscribe, rate the show, like the videos. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Me and Mike with Brian Knowles and our special guest, Seth Kaiser from the Athletic Kansas City to preview Kansas City and the Los Angeles Chargers and talk about the Chiefs season and why they're still behind the Patriots in DVOA, even though they're everybody's favorite to come out of the AFC at this point. (laughs) All right, that'll be tomorrow. Everybody enjoy your night. Thank you, JP. 
Thank you, Mike. We'll see everybody tomorrow. Adios. See ya.